Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. You're listening to the Rebel Report Podcast, where it's all Ole Miss all the time. Here's your host, Michael Borky. Welcome in, everybody, to the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Glad that you are with me on this Tuesday of SEC Media Days. Mississippi State, Georgia, Auburn making their rounds today. It'll be a really busy day uh, around here. But you're here to hear about Ole Miss. I do want to start, though, uh, with an apology. I tried something yesterday, and it didn't, it didn't go well. So that's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> uh, I tried a lapel mic uh, on Radio Row, and again, it, uh, it just didn't go well. It, it, it wasn't successful. The audio was very bad. Forgive me for making you listen to that. That won't happen again, I promise. It, it, it's not going to go like that uh, moving forward. You're going to get better audio than that. So if you listen to that, I'm sorry. Thank you for, for trying, but uh, that wasn't good, and I won't do that. Uh, again. So, uh, a couple of things. We'll talk a little baseball today. We haven't really done uh, baseball portal talk, and yesterday was a big, big day for uh, for Ole Miss. Huge day for uh, for Ole Miss. Uh, Mike Bianco and the transfer portal and all that stuff. So, we'll talk about that, tell you who uh, committed, signed, whatever. We Is it committed if they, like, immediately enroll in school? I don't know. Either way, Ole Miss got a couple of big pickups in baseball yesterday. So we'll talk about that, and I've got a conversation uh, with Benjamin Watson for you. It's not, I ask him about Ole Miss, but it's not Ole Miss focus. It's kind of like just a, a few minutes of just me nerding out about the Saints and then SEC talk, but I've got that for you as well. Please follow me, by the way, on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Michael Borky, B-O-R-K-E-Y. And if you're listening to this in browser on the website, stop doing that. We appreciate you checking out the website, but pull out your favorite podcast app, search Rebel Report, subscribe, and leave a rating and a review. So big day yesterday for Mike Bianco and Ole Miss baseball. Uh, we'll start with Luke Hill. So Ole Miss got their shortstop yesterday. That's uh, really as simple, uh, really as simple as that. Ole Miss got their shortstop yesterday. Uh, Luke Hill's a guy that was at Arizona State, uh, played and played a lot as a true freshman. He's from Baton Rouge. A lot of people thought that when he hit the portal, he was uh, just destined to go play for LSU. That is not what happened. Obviously, he is going to Ole Miss. He, he will be the shortstop for Ole Miss next year, and it's an important one. As a freshman in the Pac-12, not the SEC, but still a good baseball league, he hit 314 with six bombs and 42 RBIs. Yeah, uh, he's a player, and he was a highly coveted player at that. So Luke Hill, is uh, the second he hit the portal, a lot of Ole Miss fans were talking about how Mike needs to go get him, and he did, especially with what happened in the draft. And then the other transfer from Tampa that was going to go to Ole Miss and then changed his mind after he moved to Ole Miss. Weird situation there. Um, people were wondering – who the heck is going to play shortstop for Ole Miss? I even had somebody text me and ask me if uh, it's too late to get T.J. McCants to come back to Ole Miss to play shortstop. Um, it was not near as desperate as some people uh, made it out to be, and that's okay. I am not going to rip on fan angst. That, that I just 
under it's so understandable and for me to sit here with however big a platform i have and and like lecture fans that you shouldn't be worried when a team wins six conference games they were i mean you guys know this they they were horrible last season it was a bad baseball team and their best players from that bad baseball team are gone and the the draft happens and that doesn't go well and then your transfer or the one you had at the time just changes his mind after he moves in or or whatever the case may be. I think it was totally rational for fans to wonder what the hell's going on. I'm I'm not going to sit here and lecture anybody on, on having that feeling and and worry and and wondering if, if, if it's going to work totally rational. I'm never going to speak negatively on that Uh, because there, there is reason for concern uh, with Ole Miss baseball. They went what? Six and 24 last year. There's a reason to be concerned. However, however, I do think that th- there are too many people that think that Mike Bianco doesn't have the ability to essentially to recruit, to get players to want to play for him. He has an extremely good reputation in college baseball circles. His program is extremely well-respected. He has a long track record of, of Turning players into professionals, the collective is well-funded, even in baseball, and and they had some money probably tied up, and the guys that ended up going pro that they are able to use now on portal guys, at least, you know, one plus one equals two sometimes. I don't know that for sure, but that logically makes sense. The angst was understandable and justified. But counting out Mike Bianco, I, I don't think is particularly fair either. So... Anyway, long story short, Mike Bianco, at least in terms of what it looks like on paper, got it done with his shortstop yesterday, and he didn't stop there. Another infielder, well, he he may actually play in the outfield. It just kind of depends. Jackson Ross is is a veteran. He committed to Ole Miss yesterday, uh, played infield at Florida Atlantic, but sounds like they're going to kind of play him wherever they need to play him, essentially. Hit 345 last year with 14 home runs and 58 RPIs and an OPS of 1.042. He is a ball player, and that is a huge, huge get for Ole Miss. So uh, they doubled up yesterday in a big, big way, and those are two huge pickups for Mike Bianco. And it kind of feels like now uh, that the infield is set with, uh, if you remember, Andrew Fisher from Duke who hit, what, 290 last year with 11 home runs a- as a freshman. He'll play third base. Luke Hill will play shortstop. Sounds like Leger will play second. Um, possibly, it, maybe Jackson Ross plays first. I, I don't know what they're going to do there with first base, but they needed to fill infield positions. They did it with Luke Hill. They did it with Andrew Fisher. They did it with Jackson Ross. They uh, A while ago now, uh, got a great addition in the outfield with Trayson Hughes from Mercer, who hit 390 last year. Uh, he's got 23 home runs in two years in, in his college career. Uh, really, really good portal haul for Ole Miss at this point. It, that, that's what it is. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. It is a really good haul, uh, replacing position players. On paper, they've got to translate. You know, the SEC's more difficult uh, for sure. But Mercer does have a track record of guys moving up to the SEC and playing well. Uh, Duke plays in a really good baseball league. Arizona State plays in a really good baseball league. Uh, it, it feels like those are pretty safe 
in comfortable assumptions to make that those guys will come in and, and produce at Ole Miss. It doesn't always work out that way, as we've seen, but uh, anyway. We also got the news yesterday that uh, Groff is returning to Ole Miss. Um, the, the potential to be a lot better than he was last year is there. That, that P word is dangerous. Uh, potential, that is a very dangerous word because uh, when you say that this guy's got um, a high ceiling or, or really great potential and, and that doesn't get realized, you, you feel kind of, or you look kind of foolish. But um, people were treating that yesterday like it was like insane, like massive news. And, and quite frankly, he's got to play a lot better or he's got to hit a lot better uh, anyway. Uh, than he did a year ago. The the numbers, the splits are, are frankly really bad. And again, he's got the potential to be much better than that. You've seen it. He was really good at Tulane. Uh, hit what four hundred uh, in his last year at Tulane before he transferred to Ole Miss. But um, simply wasn't good enough. Is that a product of not culture? Culture's not the right word. But but a team that was bad and, and there were a lot of issues and and did that spill into his production? Uh, We'll have to see, but um, he's got potential to be much better than he showed you last year, but he's got to be much better uh, than he showed you uh, last year. So they added quality portal guys uh, in field positions, and also uh, don't forget about uh, Liam Doyle. I don't think we've talked about him yet. Uh, He was the freshman lefty at Coastal Carolina that was really good, especially at the end uh, of this past season. Um, Ole Miss has a bunch of lefty starting pitchers now. Uh, which is a, a good problem to have. It's not even a problem at all, but uh, highly productive pitcher, electric, uh, honestly. Um, you know, was good, really good in, in a good baseball league in the Sun Belt at the end of last season, especially for a true freshman. So uh, with him and, and Rivas returning and Hunter Elliott, uh, whenever they get him back, which should be before conference play if the timeline adds up, um, plus with Sonye returning, for example, you should feel better about the pitching situation. It was a train wreck a year ago. They've portaled some guys, but front-end starters, I feel like they're in pretty good shape uh, with some options in the rotation next year. Uh, Rivas was, uh, what, top five in the SEC in strikeouts? He he got better as the year went on. The transition was a little tough early, but I I think you've got something really solid with a bunch of lefties. Uh, in your rotation as well. So uh, a good offseason so far for uh, for Ole Miss baseball. And we'll see how they're able to close it out. But uh, so far, you should feel much better about your team's roster than, uh, than you did likely uh, just a few weeks ago. The podcast is brought to you by Advantage Business Systems. Check them out online, absms.com. That's the website if you're in the market for office technology. Anything from copiers and printers and, and mail machines to cloud storage, data security, everything in between. If it's tech, if it's in the office, and your business is located in Mississippi, absms.com is the website. Check them out online, absms.com. Tell them I sent you. You'll get a complimentary office technology assessment, so you tell them what you need and what your budget is And they'll find a solution for you on me, absms.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Priority One Bank. Let them make you their priority. Uh, They've got well over a dozen locations uh, scattered across the state, so there's likely one in your backyard. Their online banking, as I tell you guys all the time, is is a one-stop shop. You just need an internet connection. You don't need multiple apps to manage your money and everything that comes with it. 
Priority One Bank makes you their priority. All right, here it is, a conversation. Again, it's more generic SEC football stuff, but I do ask about Ole Miss. Uh, Quinchon Judkins uh, in particular. But Benjamin Watson, the former Saint Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots and uh, SEC Network analyst. So here that conversation is right now, and that will end the podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky with you, and our next guest is... A Super Bowl champion, a highly accomplished NFL and college football player, accolades off the field as well, but I'm going to introduce him. I'm going to fan out here. As a former New Orleans Saint, Benjamin Watson, <laughs> who that, man, who that? I appreciate you spending some time with us. And let's start there. I'm, yeah. I'm a Saints fan. When you played in New Orleans, I've heard so many people say that is the loudest environment that they've ever played in. Is that actually true? Or is that what Saints people say to make fans like us feel better? That's what Saints people say, but it is also true. Really? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I can say that. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you probably remember this game uh, very vividly. Uh, 2009, I was playing with the Patriots, and we came down there on, I think it was a Monday night football game. It was the year the Saints won the Super Bowl. And um, it was probably the loudest game I think I've ever been a part of. It. I've been to some loud stadiums. Seattle is a very loud stadium. Kansas City is loud. There are several of them in the NFL, but when New Orleans gets going in a night game with a lot on the line, there is nothing better than being in the Superdome. That's why I enjoy playing there so much because of, because the, the passion of the fans, whether it was a day game or a night game, just the passion of the fans, the way that the city embraces the team. It, it's the only place I'll tell you this: it's the only place I've played in played on four teams where when we returned from an away game, whether it was midnight. Two in the morning, uh, five in the afternoon, whether it was raining, whenever snowing, whether it was blazing hot, there were people at the airport welcoming welcoming us back to New Orleans. That's the only place I've ever played where that happened. And I tell people that story because just to highlight the fact that New Orleans, Louisiana people are different. That that fan base is special. So I've always wondered this as well. For a guy that's played in multiple places in the NFL, do you – like? Are you a fan of, of one team? Do you like them all? Do you root for them all? Like, how, how do you choose that when you played in, in different places? Well, like what I what I always did was I, I just rooted for people that I knew. And when you play for a certain amount of time, you end up knowing guys in different places. Now, I might not cheer for your team if you play for the Steelers. I want you to do well. Yeah. <laughs> but I might not cheer for you. But but I do kind of have a, uh, especially now, um, me and my wife have seven kids. And my, my oldest daughters are like, hey, I can't wait for football season. So we have this, like, family pick them during the year where we pick the games and most of my kids are involved and they're excited about football coming, but we always kind of cheer a little more for the teams that I played on because honestly their birth cities are some of those teams as well. We had three kids while we were living in New Orleans, three in in Cleveland and one in in New England. So it's it's special for the family. I I would love to talk NFL football (laughs) the whole time, but we are at SEC media days are now at the SEC network uh, as an analyst. So it's Mississippi state day. Let's start there. Unique circumstance, unfortunately a unique circumstance for Mississippi State. First-year head coach promoted from defensive coordinator after Mike Leach's passing. What's the biggest challenge for Zach Arnett, not only becoming a head coach for the first time, but but taking over such a unique situation like that? It's always difficult when you take over for a legend. And 
you, you see this happen a lot of times when, when, when coaches in the sporting profession are taking over for someone who is, is such a storied person or who had a kind of a larger-than-life personality. And the temptation there is to sometimes be somebody that you're not. And, and what I think you've seen from Arnett already is that he's going to be who he is. The great thing, I think, is his relationship with Coach Leach before and the fact that he's been a part of the program. This isn't a guy that's coming in from the outside. And so there's this continuity there. Uh, I, I think I think another big challenge that he has is changing that offense. I mean, he, he's already said that he's yeah, going to – they've added your position now. I I know. Like, wow, there's a tight end. I mean, he's changed it to a pro-style offense. He brought in a new offensive coordinator um, from App State. Going to be more more run-heavy, I think, this year than they have been in the past, which in watching them has been one of the the, the axes I've had to grind with them. is like run the football. Yeah. Like, you got to be able to run the football sometimes. And it seems like he, he's realizing he's going to do that. So it's going to be a challenge there as he tries to uh, um, emphasize that with a team that has not been um, – centered on running the football and has not recruited players that, you know, were going to be there to run the football. So that's going to be a difficult change for him, but I think it's going to be for the better of Mississippi State. Uh, SEC Network analyst, former St. Benjamin Watson on your radio right now. So um, George is here, your alma mater, back-to-back national championships, but they lost a bunch. And now they recruit so well, and and a lot of people here think, ah, that doesn't matter because they, they lose the entire Eagles defense. And, <laughs> and replace them with five stars. Phil- is it really that simple, though? Is the it, Philadelphia Bulldogs. Seriously. But um, is it really that simple where you just, well, out with these great players and these five stars are just going to be the same? Is it really that simple? Seven years of top recruiting classes. And, and one thing I didn't I didn't understand about college football, even, even in playing years ago at Georgia, um, and then being in the NFL for 16 years, where I wasn't really following college football the same way, I didn't realize the importance of recruiting. It's that thing that it seems like the insiders understand, the fans understand. But from a player perspective, I wasn't really thinking about the power of recruiting. But when you look at Georgia and the pipeline they've had of players coming in over over time, that's how you're able to replace a loss of five first-round picks and then come back the next year and still have a number-one-ranked defense in, in the conference. That's how you're able to have players who leave, but then because of what they poured into the players underneath them, those guys step into that role of leadership, but also performance. Um, and, and so is it that simple? No, it's not, because if it was, everybody would be doing it. But when you look at these dynasty-type programs like in Alabama and Nick Saban, it was the recruiting. It was, yes, his coaching. It was all it was the competition at practice. It was all those sorts of things. But they were able to land these highly touted prospects and develop them. That's what you've seen Georgia be able to do over the last several years since Kirby Smart has been there, especially on the defensive side yeah. of the ball. All of us here are, are very likely uh, going to pick Georgia to win the East. Not so much in the West, though. It feels like for the first time, and I know Alabama doesn't win the West every year, Yeah, they're not going to be the favorite, I don't think anyway, based well, on talking well, to people. Well, well maybe not talking about but I, I swear I've seen them as the favorite um, according to some polls. Oh, I'm sure somebody yeah. will, but I mean, we're sitting next to the Baton Rouge people, so maybe that's uh, that's <laughs> that not, might that's be our why. problem. But is LSU prepared to make that kind of a run where they run through the West as good as the West is this year and, and upset Nick Saban again and, and get back to the SEC championship, or do you expect Alabama to rebound from a, a, a down year where yeah. they won 11 games? I expect Alabama to rebound, but also expect LSU to uh, to win the West. Um, but, but I'll tell you this, the challenging part about what LSU is doing this year, the good part is the fact that they have a returning quarterback. Um, it's Brian Kelly's second year. 
the, the, the culture has been established. There's no surprises. They understand what the SEC schedule looks like. Uh, uh, these guys have played a tough schedule. They went to the SEC championship last year. They lost to Georgia, but they were there. They have a hunger still to come back and, and play there. But the most difficult thing and where maturity sets in is if a team, if players are able to play at a top level when everybody's expecting them to or when everybody is trying to prevent them from because they're a known commodity. And that's what LSU is going to face this year. It's a coveted position to be in because it means you've been successful. The question I have is, will they be able to handle that that positive pressure? Um, because it's one thing to play when nobody's expecting you to be good. It's another thing when everybody's expecting you to win and you go out and do it. That's what Alabama has done for several years. That's what Georgia has done over the last couple of years. And uh, transitioning to Ole Miss, of course, we cover Ole Miss as well, even though they're not here today. They'll be here Thursday. Quinshawn Judkins is a guy that I think might experience a similar thing where last year Zach Evans was the guy at Ole Miss, and then here's this true freshman, this kind of under-recruited true freshman that took the league by storm. Nobody's going to be surprised by Quinshawn <laughs> Judkins anymore, though. He'll, he'll have a target on his back, and does that change things? Well, for running back, for him, watching him, led the league in, in, in broken tackles, um, strong runner, powerful um, quick, I, I think he may run for more yards without Zach Evans, without having to split time. Um, the only issue is going to be his health. How, health. how healthy does he stay? Um, and then at the quarterback position, how does the how, how does Lane Kiffin with the passing game uh, open up things for his running back? Um, I know Lane wants to throw the ball more than he did last year. Last year, Ole Miss was a heavy run offense. Um, led the led the SEC in rushing. Um, I think he wants to be more balanced this year, and that's why he brought in a little bit of quarterback competition with Jackson Dart. But I think for Quinshawn, look, the sky's the limit for him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him run for as much, if not more, yards than he did last year. That's Benjamin. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.